0: is a Disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm here with my co-host Lee. Hey. And you're joining us for another Tragedy Tuesday, our tragedy episode our, our mini episodes about <laughs> tragedies that aren't really so many. <laughs> such as me mispronouncing that it and having a tragedy.
1: It was, was
0: alright. I good. thought it was okay. It was great. Anyway, before we dive in, this one's a this one's a Lee tragedy. Tragedy. tragedy <laughs> <laughs> Before we dive in, just a bit of housekeeping up front. If you're new here. Welcome. Hi. There seem to be uh, seem to be a growing number of you. So yeah. thanks for joining us. Thanks. If uh, you're uh, if you're not already, please consider subscribing. That way, you can keep up to date with all of our new episodes. If you're wondering how to help us out, writing a review is a great way, and telling a friend is an even better way. So tell your friends about this podcast. If you like what you hear, like like right now, just hit pause. Hit pause. You're on your phone. Go to that messaging app and just be like, "Hey, this is a disaster. Is not a disaster." But give them more context, because if you just write that, they yeah. won't know what you're yeah. talking about. So, <clears throat> so welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to let Lee take it away. So
1: Lee. Hey there, everybody. Hi, Lee. Hi. So we're back to the, the music. We sure awesome. are. sure are. Awesome. Yes. Today, I'm going to talk about the band Killing Joke. Ooh. This isn't much of a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, killing Jill. That's Copod, a disaster. That isn't. Well, we'll no, see. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> so they've had their share of ups and downs, yeah. as any band who's been around for forty years can probably attest to. Forty. Yeah. Okay. Forty. This year. Hey. Twenty nineteen. Awesome. There you go. But for the most part, a fairly successful career with uh, an intensely loyal fan base mm-hmm. and a brief flirtation with commercial success in the eighties. Brief. Brief. The briefest. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, there is one rather funny incident that occurred pretty early in their career okay. that had all the potential for disaster okay. in that it basically derailed the band and they were defunct very briefly. Damn it. Not only that, but it was also a direct response to the threat of nuclear war during the Cold War 80s an impending disaster – which never ended up happening. Oh. So basically, I've come up with an excuse to talk about one of my favorite bands by the way <laughs> of a technicality, baby. <laughs> Perfect. I'm all about technicalities. Yeah. That's why I'm studying the law. <laughs> there you go. So you should appreciate this. Yep. So I'll start with a brief, brief history of the band. Let's hear it. They were formed in 1979 mm-hmm. in London. Very much of the vanguard of the post-punk thing that was taking shape. Mm-hmm. So 76, 77, you, you know, punk music's first wave. Yep. Sex Pistols, The Damned, The Clash, Ramones, etc., mm-hmm. and these bands were very single-minded in their approach, okay. in in playing a very like stripped-down, like no bullshit version of rock and roll. Right. Yeah. You got to think that if these bands were like music fans, certainly they're drawing from different influences. But as far as their output, it was sort of the punk sound, like yeah, right. the initial punk sound. Yeah. Bands that came shortly after, as the '80s started looming on the horizon, these so called post-punk bands, many of them were very much about bringing in those other influences into their own music. Yeah, right. So you're hearing a wide variety of influences in, say, Joy Division, mm-hmm. uh, Public Image, mm-hmm. Susie and the Banshees, and Killing Joke were no different. So okay. the basis of their sound was definitely rooted in the punk thing. Yep. You could also instantly detect elements of funk, mm-hmm. uh, reggae, kraut rock, disco, and heavy metal.
0: Right, which actually it's funny you should say that because I feel like I've listened to Killing Joke on many occasions okay, and I never realized it's the same band. I feel like their sound has probably evolved over time. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to touch on that in a little
1: bit, but yes. I'm not going to say no two albums are alike, but that happens quite a bit. Okay, fair enough. So I'll get to that. Yeah, Lyrically and thematically, they were delving into the occult and uh, sort of like an end time... Message. Okay. These are you the like I said the Cold War and you know, sure that's just in the background.
0: That'll do it. You said eighties.
1: Yeah, seventy nine, uh, turning over to nineteen eighty. So okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like nothing resembling say Venom or you know yeah Celtic right. okay. Frost and yeah. the metal bands. Yeah, those bands were insanely overt. Yeah, their right. obsession with the dark arts, <laughs> yep. which we talked all about in the a bit. Satanic Panic episode. Sure, look will come up again. Yeah, you kind of got the sense right away that it was being done for shock value. Yeah, right. Uh, Killing Joker simply deadpan in their culty obsessions. It right. was. It was a. It was a genuine uh, in, of of genuine interest. So that made it quite not quite so obvious right. unless you dug a little deeper and started reading the lyrics and maybe looking at the artwork and I'm like, okay, <laughs> they really mean this shit. Okay. That's actually scary. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, so throughout the 80s, lots of albums and singles and EPs and yep. lots of touring. Mm-hmm. Uh, around eighty forty-five, they had their one hit single called Love Like Blood. Okay. Which is their brief uh, commercial success. Huh. I uh, don't Chirin. know if I can conjure that one in my mind. Yeah, it okay. wasn't like a big smash. Like okay. it's not like, oh, I know that song. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah. uh, it's, um, it's a good one. Okay. So yeah, a little bit of commercial success there. Mm-hmm. And then as happened with a lot of the 80s punk, post-punk bands, yeah. uh, their sound kind of mellowed throughout the decade. Mm-hmm. So as a result, uh, 1986 Killing Joke sounded very different from 1980 Killing Joke. Right. And I just want to say it as as an aside, like the way I came across them was probably the way a lot of people who are around my age did, Mm -hmm. who were maybe listening to metal when they were teenagers. Basically in 1987, Metallica put out an EP featuring five cover songs, Mm -hmm. one of which was Killing Joke's The Weight. Oh, wow. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) me being like ever the completest, I went out and... Bought a cassette copy of Killing Jokes' self-titled debut where the the weight can be found. Oh, nice. So uh, obviously, like, the Metallica version is very Metallica. Like, they made it sound like Metallica, so the original doesn't sound like them. (laughs) He's doing his best. (laughs) (laughs) Lars Ulrich doing his best. (laughs) Sums up his drumming. So I bought that album. I loved it. The next album of theirs that I got was 1986's... Brighter than a thousand suns which I thought I'd bought an album by the Cure by accident. Really? Okay. <laughs> it's like Yeah,
0: okay. So so my experience with Killing Joke isn't unique.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely not. I I was thrown off at first, but the thing is I loved both albums. Yeah, well, that's also, um,
0: I, I think the first experience I had with them was, was it 2012 when they did, no, 2002 when they did the
1: album with Dave Grohl? Uh, yeah, 2003. Yeah. 2003,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was my experience, like first experience. And I was like, oh, give me some more of that. Yeah, so yeah. I do that thing with, which I do for every band. It's like, okay, well, let's go back to the beginning. You're right. And then I went to the beginning and I'm like, this, this is same, not,
1: <laughs> this is not what I was yeah, interested that in. That <laughs> album is super heavy, the Dave Grohl one. and Yeah. Yeah. That's not what they sounded like at all right. in, in their sort of payday. Also, I just
0: made a weird connection that I think the very first time I encountered Killing Joke was probably on the soundtrack to Need for Speed Underground or on Need for Speed Underground 2. A video game? Yeah. Oh. It would have been what a track off of that album with Dave Oh, Grohl. okay, okay.
1: Yeah, no, video games are good for that. Yeah. Expose people to music. Lots of music, especially oh like rock bands.
0: Let's not even get started. This isn't a disaster, but maybe we'll do an episode about the Tony Hawk 2 soundtrack. Okay. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. <laughs> oh, I still have all of those songs like etched on my bones. Was it
1: like pop punk
0: or? It sure was. Okay.
1: And so it got some, that's why I like Most deaf. He was on there. Ah, yeah, nice. Real good. We're off track. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I, I um, I'm fascinated by bands who sound vastly different album to album. Yeah. And I think that's, I think they are the reason why. Okay, fair enough. It's not a requirement. I mean. No, sure. You kind of want every ACDC album mm-hmm. or Ramones album yep. to be consistent. Like you don't really want any curveballs from certain bands. Oh, for sure. Other bands, it's interesting to hear, like, I want to hear Killing Joke's take on this or this yeah. or this. And it's, you know, very different, but yep. all very good, probably. Yep. Yep. Not all the time though. <laughs> okay, very <fair> much. <enough. laughs> so as brings me to my next point. As yep. the eighties came to a close, their sound got even <clears throat> wimpier uh, right. and quite lame. Okay. For one album at least. Sure. As the nineties started up, they sort of hit reset after losing some members oh. and came back super heavy and sounding Very much like classic Killing Joke, but with an even more like sort of metallic edge. And that's where they started down the road, which led to like the self-titled album that Dave Grohl played on. Didn't he also Uh, kind of
0: invite himself onto the whole album? They wanted him, I think their plan was to have a different drummer feature on every track.
1: Yeah. And he came in and was
0: like, can can I just do it all?
1: Yeah. (laughs) That sounds right. Yeah, Yeah. I think they solicited different, like the guy from System But Down and- Maybe the guy from Tool, but yeah, he just was like, oh, I'll do the whole thing. Yep.
0: probably um, for the best. Otherwise, you'd have, especially the Tool drummer, you'd have ugh. a song that's a 15-minute solo.
1: Exactly. We don't need that.
0: We don't need that. Apologies to Tool fans. Although I do, I, I, I love, I have a soft spot for lateralis. I'm going to talk about
1: Tool in a second. Okay. (laughs) Hey, are we friends? Weirdly. We should be friends. (laughs) We should like hang out and talk about things and record it. Fair enough. So yeah, they got the nineties. They got heavy. Yeah. Definitely a reaction to like metal and alt rock becoming very popular with the kids. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically where they would sit like within this sort of sonic niche of you've got their classic sound, but it's, it's heavied up quite a bit. Yeah. And they continue to sit there to this day. So 40 years on, still releasing solid albums, still touring. And they're actually currently opening for that awful Tool band. Really? Interesting. (laughs) So most likely playing half full stadiums to irate Tool fans. So... Getting paid handsomely to do so. so <laughs> quick, quick. I
0: say okay. Quick sidebar. What are your thoughts on Tool? Are you a fan? Look. Or, okay.
1: <laughs> in high school, I thought there was no better band. Hey. And I'm talking about Opiate and I'm talking about Undertow. Uh-huh. And when Anima came out, I was like, what is this? Uh, and it just gets worse from there. Well, I think 10,000 Days has some good moments. Okay. But that new album... No, I couldn't do it. Oh my God. I made myself listen to it top to bottom and it is just a shore and a bore. Same. I say I couldn't do
0: it. I did it like while I was working or something, but there's a couple songs where you're like,
1: wrap it up guys. (sighs) They're not (laughs) songs. It's just these meandering parts that never- For me,
0: I think Right Place, Right Time, I was just getting into like heavier music when Lateralis came out. Yeah. There's still a lot of songs on that that I think are bangers. Right but that's probably just me in this room.
1: <laughs> it's not just you, but yeah. yeah, in this room, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Tool. Cool. I could talk for an hour about that. Different disaster. Different disaster. Yeah. So yeah, going back. <laughs> <laughs> back to Killing Joke. Back to Killing Joke. <laughs> so going back to the early days, yeah. and I want to focus a bit on how the band formed and the kind of atmosphere they cultivated within the ranks, okay. uh, specifically due to their obsession at the time with the occult and yeah. magic. Okay. With a K at the end of it. Right. Totally, totally (laughs) real. Not talking about rabbit out of a hat. Totally real. Totally important. (laughs) Yeah. So the seeds of the band were planted when singer, keyboardist, Jeremy Jazz Coleman Mm -hmm. and drummer Paul Ferguson, AKA Big Paul. They've all got their- (laughs) Come on. I know. Jazz and Big Paul. Exactly. Cool. Cool. Killing Joke fans are like, yeah. All right. And everyone else is like, what?
0: (laughs) I mean, whatever. Sid was Sid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So they met in a, a dole line. Oh, okay. Like yeah, the British yep. version of welfare. Yep. And they quickly found they had a lot in common and mm-hmm. agreed to get together at some point to make some music happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh shortly after that I placed an ad in Melody Maker, which is like a okay. British m- music magazine. Right. Uh seeking other musicians and the ad goes as follows: Want to be part of the Killing Joke? We mean it, man. It's like a Sex Pistols Oh, back. nice! Nice. Total exploitation, total publicity, total anonymity. Bass and lead wanted. Okay, so All pretty right cryptic. Then. Sure, yeah. Not your average like guitarist seeks drummer to play classic. Yeah, rock song. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I
0: imagine that would get more responses than yeah. like like what Led is Zeppelin this?
1: cover band looking for exactly drummer. It <laughs> catches the eye. Yep, yep. Further to this search for other members, what jazz and Big Paul. Yeah. Actually, did to initiate says said search was to perform a ritual. Mm-hmm. So, as Paul describes it, they used candles. Mm-hmm. They painted a large pentagram on the floor mm-hmm. of the uh, apartment. So far, bad practice. Yes, the f- the f- the f- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where they uh, had been living, and performed an invocation of sorts, most likely from the works of Alistair Crowley, Correct. who they were largely. Influenced by at the time. Wait, so that's not a normal thing? Because whenever we get to band practice, the first thing you
0: make us do is draw a pentagram and chant something in that weird ancient language. Told you not to know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just normal. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what people do. Uh-huh. So mini sidebar. Yep. Alistair Crowley. Bring it. He was an English occultist. Yep. Ceremonial ma- magician. Yep. Poet, painter, novelist, and mountaineer. Okay. During the turn of the 20th century and beyond. Mm-hmm. I think he died in like 47 or so. Oh, okay, sort of okay. Active. Right. Yeah. Throughout that time. He joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, okay. where he was trained in ceremonial magic. Okay. He also wrote the Book of the Law, which served as the basis for Thelema. Okay. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sure. Uh, A religion of his own founding with its fundamental tenet being do what thou wilt. Oh, is the whole of the law. Is the whole of the law. Ah. Yeah. He also led a libertine, quote, (laughs) lifestyle, which sees one devoid of most moral principles or sense of responsibility or sexual restraints libertinism yeah. is described as an extreme form of hedonism. So sure. he wasn't the greatest guy. <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound like it. No. What, is
0: there any relation between him and like the Necronomicon or is that someone else?
1: Oh, no, that's H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Ye- oh, okay. He, yeah, he wrote about that. Gotcha. Oh, I don't think there is a Necronomicon, okay. but he said right, it's sort of a right. pretend book that comes up in his stories. True. So yeah, it's not to say that Alistair Crowley was their idol or anything, but yep. some cues are definitely being taken more from his writings and thelema in general. Yeah. So the eye gets placed, the ritual is performed, and shortly thereafter the other two members are found, those being guitarist Kevin Jordy Walker mm-hmm. and bassist Martin Glover, aka Youth. Proving that magic is real. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did they come with the nicknames or were the nicknames installed after? I think Youth already had his nickname. Sure. Geordie, I'm not sure okay fair right yeah. And the band to this day Attest that the invocation ritual is what brought Jordy and Youth into the fold. Well, yeah. A recent interview I watched with Big Paul. He's mm-hmm. he's his attitude isn't. Oh yeah, we were doing that when we were kids. We yeah. were messing around, and yeah. you know when we were young and stupid, just a bit of fun. He mm-hmm. his outlook seems to still hold the whole idea of cere- ceremonial magic as legitimate. He right. simply states that he hasn't practiced it in years. Okay. So that kind of sets the tone for the early days of the band as such. Okay. Um, You've got a lot of elements at play. There's the initial days of post-punk and sort of life in general during that time. Like I kept bringing up the early 80s with constantly being informed by the ongoing Cold War and threat of nuclear war. Right. So it's sort of this topic cropped up again and again in their material Mm -hmm. via, you know, the lens of like punk rock nihilism themes of urban decay. You couple that with their obsession with the occult. Yeah. Uh, it made for some pretty intense music and seemingly some pretty intense people. Right. Particularly singer Jazz Coleman who <laughs> live looked like a man possessed. In those early days they were also sometimes joined on stage by a character simply known as the wizard <laughs> who would do fire breathing to okay. perform ceremonies. <laughs> All right. And as far as their practice of magic, yeah. um, they described themselves at the time as devotional. So they would perform these different rituals based on the cycles of the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would also visit different, quote, grid points where they believe natural energy could be found. Okay. For example, the Rollwright Stones near Oxfordshire. And then there's one particular show they played on February 1st, 1980 at the Reading Hexagon, which is another so-called grid point. Okay, Each member again, in recent interviews, describes having a collective out-of-body experience simultaneously during the show, where five songs in, time slowed down, everything went silent, and they were sort of witnessing themselves performing for about 30 to 40 seconds, and then like back to normal. So they were super high. (laughs) (laughs) Well, It's like this, like stuff like that, like these claims and like magic and rituals and stuff, I don't feel like I have to believe it. Sure. I just enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's just this thing that it makes the whole thing seem larger than life. Yeah. For certain bands, that really adds something. Oh, for sure. Especially when they like they were they were going that route from the outset. Yeah. So they're young and insane right. and just sort of driven down this path. Yeah. If I had heard about that in a situation like that, my yeah. Gut reaction is like, yeah, shut up, but <laughs> <laughs> seeing it through like sort of a historical, yeah. like just, man, they did all this stuff. I I love it. Yeah, I could see that. Even though I think it's crap. But. Well, you know, <laughs> believe what you want to believe. Exactly. You know? You're not, you're not hurting anyone. They you're, were you're, doing you're, stuff and they were having fun. And you know what? You did an incantation and you got a famous rock band out of it. So <laughs> exactly. You do you. Who's to argue? Yeah. My contributions to this show mm-hmm. never seemed complete without some kind of LSD mishap. Oh, good Lord. So here's one. Oh, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> yes. So Bassist Youth, yep. the only regular LSD user in the band, yep. apparently took something really strong yep. given to him by some shady acquaintance. Right. Something along the lines of, if we're friends, you'll take this. Oh. Gulp. <laughs> okay. Good. Which she was like, ah, I do that all the time. No worries. Uh-huh. uh He ended up tripping for days on end. <laughs> oh, shit. Culminated in him, uh, first he broke into some Masonic temple. Okay. Vandalized the place. <laughs> and then proceeded to walk down the street in a pair of swimming trunks and a kimono burning money. Okay. <laughs> He was arrested and sh- chucked into a mental hospital for a spell where he received electroshock therapy. That's what I call a Tuesday. <laughs> Just another day. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to this disaster of mm-hmm. teasing. So oh, yeah. 1982. Yeah. Killing Joke released their third album, Revelations. Yeah. Play a bunch of shows throughout February to promote it. There's footage from one of said shows that was filmed sort of professionally yep. like multi-camera shoot and then an interview that jazz Coleman did beforehand it's yep. all on YouTube For sure he looks insane okay like, like his eyes are bugging out of his head yeah his teeth are bared and he's just and you know and like he's <laughs> like I don't know if it's drugs yeah. or he's just an intense dude yep. probably both or maybe one or the other but yep it's something. Okay. It's pretty great. Yep. yep. <laughs> so February 24th, they played a show in Brighton. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following day, they were scheduled for their first appearance on Top of the Pops. Okay. You know, kind of a big deal. Yep. So the band are waiting around the uh, TV studio for jazz to show up. Yep. It never does. Oh, okay. Instead, a letter shows up in his stead, informing the group that in order to survive the inevitable nuclear holocaust, he's left for Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how you bail on a gig. Uh, yeah. None of this, my grandma's sick. Yeah, I'm sick. My girlfriend said I couldn't come. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's... I'm. I'm I'm hiding from the Holocaust <laughs> yeah. in Iceland. He believed the northeast section of the island would be the safest place to ride out the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And there were also bits of uh, Alistair Crowley's writings, which apparently had to do with taking refuge on an island and fortifying it. So oh, okay. it sort of taking his... Cues from the master, right? Yeah. The other three members, meanwhile, performed that day on Top of the Pops with a man who they dressed head to toe in a beekeeper's outfit, (laughs) and they just stuck him behind a keyboard, (laughs) and uh, drummer Big Paul mimed the vocals. (laughs) (laughs) So, right, because Top of the
0: Pops does the backing track anyway. Yeah, exactly. You're supposed to fake it.
1: It's uh, lip sync.
0: Yeah. So they still do that. Is Top of the Pops still a thing? I don't
1: know. A lot of
0: funny stories came out of that show.
1: Oh, I bet. So, uh, Jazz began what he would later describe as a process of individuation okay. at Sneffelsokul mm-hmm. Glacier. Nailed it. Got it the first time. Yeah. Another grid point, apparently. Okay. So, Jordi, guitarist, soon joined him in Iceland. Mm-hmm. And Big Paul describes Jordi's leaving as sitting around the apartment they shared. Mm-hmm. So, Big Paul sitting around and feeling something move past him. Mm-hmm. And not just not bothering to look and see what it was, mm-hmm. and later surmising that that was Jordy walking out the door on his way to the airport. Okay, <laughs> so it was like another <laughs> uh, undisclosed. I'm going to Iceland too. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so Jazz All ended right. up joining a band called Fear, T H E Y R. Although the T H is actually a Icelandic. It's like a P where the where the bubble is down the middle. Oh, I see. Okay. So yeah. I don't know how this chair appears during his Icelandic adventure, mm-hmm. their sound being not outside of the realm of killing joke. Yep. And they had this sort of idea or a concept of like hypnotizing audiences and stuff. Okay. So he kind of went from this band, which was obsessed with the occults. Yep to joining a band that was kind of a cult itself <laughs> it <laughs> you also, know what they find each other you know? exactly match you just, made in you find in your friends whatever the cult believes in exactly uh, it also featured uh, future members of the Sugar Cubes, mm-hmm. which was the band where uh, Bjork became known to the world. Oh, cool. There's some conjecture that Bjork was around at that time, but okay. it's not consistent enough for me to say, and Bjork was there too. Yeah, yeah. But she probably was around. Like, sure. She was definitely playing music at the time. So right, yeah, yeah. She was in there somewhere, probably. Yep. So Jazz, along with Jordi, uh, became involved in a group or perhaps... Founded a group called uh, the Oracle Project, hmm. which carried out various rituals at uh, so-called sacred sites. Uh, Jordi describes one instance when they climbed some mountain or another, and yeah. Jazz was levitating two feet off the ground. Yeah, so, sure, checks out. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. totally happened. Yep. Uh, meanwhile,
0: And <laughs> hey, you know what? Y- you do you dude, again. Who you am, am did I? Did an invocation, and you got killing joke. So <laughs> yeah, you levitated. One of my favorite bands. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. <laughs> For fear you that do I'd do win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I want that. So back in London, Big Paul and Youth are getting any little tidbits of info they can via the music press. Okay. Uh, the NME, Melody Maker, etc. Yeah, right. hey, yeah. And the and the tidbits usually would involve the NME trying to get in touch with Jazz calling him on the phone, and being told to fuck off. They ended up starting their own group called Brilliant, mm-hmm. assuming Killing Joke was defunct, which yeah. it basically was at that point. Okay. Jazz claims there was one member of the Oracle Project who was struck by lightning on two separate occasions while in his presence. That's not a good sign. Nope. Really, there's very little information on what the hell happened over there, right. but to hear anyone aside from Jazz and Jordy tell it, yeah. it didn't go well for them. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, they were sort of having this... Fun time, yeah, with their buddies doing rituals and probably partying the whole time. right. And I know like jazz in particular was off with two different women. That's cool. Sure. Yeah, as yeah. far as like wow. joining a new band and, and, and you know, doing whatever they set out to do, it just, it all kind of fell flat. Yeah. When you said that they started, what was it? The Oracle Project? Yeah. Like that's that's a pretty cool like prog
0: rock band name. Yeah. Oh no, it's an actual occult project? Oh, okay. Cool. Oh cool, yeah. Cool. It's just people like dancing yep. around
1: fires and right basically then. doing drum circles. Like, well, so. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so within six months, Jazz and Jordy returned to London with the intentions of getting the band back together. Mm-hmm. Big Paul returned on drums. Youth, however, did not, or he wasn't invited back. Okay. So he was replaced by Paul Raven. hmm And uh, they continued his killing joke. A man with a name like Paul Raven needs no nickname. Nope. It's just it's Raven. built in. Yeah. Raven, that's yeah. what he was known as. Oh, there you go. And you know what? I met him once. Uh, he was touring with Ministry, and they played in Ottawa, and I was on a killing joke mailing list. Okay back when there was mailing lists. Sure. Yeah. So you would sign up your email and there was a yep. mass thing and he would get on there and talk to the fans. Oh, okay. And I, I saw him after the show in yep. front of their tour bus and I said, hey man, awesome show. I'm that guy. And I told him my yeah. email, email address and he, he was like, oh yeah. And he grabbed me yeah. and pulled me onto the tour bus and nice. I sat there for an hour with my friend just listening to him tell the most insane stories in the world. Awesome. He's a good guy. Nice. And then a few months later he died. No, Mm. I was just gonna say, Raven, if you're listening,
0: (laughs) he's probably. You know what? He might be actually. A lot of rituals
1: going around. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. they did their due diligence. That's all I have to say. uh, All I have to say about that. That That is that is something. (laughs) (laughs) By
0: your own admission, maybe not the most catastrophic of disasters, but that last part, uh, pretty disastrous. Yeah. 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 It's sort of if you show up to a gig and you find that your bassist is. In Iceland, hiding from the <laughs> yeah. nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, it's a disaster. disaster. It's a bit of a disaster. Sure thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Not to mention, Top of the Pops is kind of its own disaster. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> or at least it was. Yeah. So music. Dur. Yep. yep. <laughs> I mean, it's silly because I play. I I requested a Killing Joke Miley song. Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No? Okay. <laughs> we. I just played them like two episodes. Sure. Ago. Well. But you know, start with the first song off their first album, yep. and it's called Requiem. Okay, and just keep listening. Okay, because like I wouldn't recommend every Killing Joke album to right. just about anyone. In fact, there's most that I wouldn't. But okay. that first album, I think everybody can get on board with their first album. Fair enough. Cause it's just top to bottom, like chalk a block. Okay. Well, it's been a while right? since I've listened to any Killing Joke, so right. maybe now is the time to go back and start at the beginning. I think so. Like especially, I mean, if you love Joy Division public image and just any of that sort of 80s post-punk new wave i think you'll be in for a treat yeah a little darker than most but
0: also if you're a fan of the song come as you are by nirvana <laughs> you might <laughs> you might like the song 80s by another killing another, joke. another mini disaster yeah ruin possible yeah so yeah cool well, that, was, that was a that was a tragic tuesday there you go thanks for sharing lee oh not i a love problem. killing joke <laughs> and not just the comic it's a good comic it is a good comic but uh, yeah so thanks for tuning in uh, if you want to keep up to date with us you can follow us on social medias Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at This Disaster Pod you can check out our website www.thisdisasterpod.com don't forget to subscribe and leave leave us a review if you like what you hear tell all your friends don't stop telling your friends just run down the street yelling this is a disaster and you'll probably get in some trouble because it's like yelling fire but then clarify that it's a podcast to whoever you get in trouble with. And they'll be don't like, Don't oh, wear cool. swim
1: trunks and then come on over.
0: <laughs> or do. Or do. That sounds pretty sweet. We'll get some attention. If you're gonna do that, take a video <laughs> and send it our way. But don't mention our names. <laughs> we don't know you. Right, don't send it. Yeah, plausible deniability. <gasps> we did not encourage or endorse this message. That yeah. We just <laughs> said with our mouths. <laughs> Disclaimer. Can't yeah, unclaim it. Anyway, we'll <laughs> see you in <laughs> our next major disaster. Goodbye.